Tonight's uh, subject is one that I think is discussed a lot. People hear a lot about it. It's one of the big questions that we maybe have heard discussed and heard some positions on the matter, but I think that it kind of remains a little bit murky. Um, it's not so clear um, what the bottom lines are, and certainly most people have never gone through the sources in a proper way to see what the sources actually say. Uh, and the question is, uh, the idea of hashtacha pratas, which is divine providence, that the Almighty watches over us and takes care of us and tends to our needs. And the question really is, what are, what's the exact parameters? Can we just say, oh, we're going to let the Almighty take care of us, pay our bills, let him be in charge, and we can kind of you know, take some time off and do other things? That's the question. Uh, and we're going to focus on the sources, all the sources, and see what they say, because the sources are not at least initially, very clear one way or the other. So the first source, the, probably the, the most famous source that discusses, and this is from the Gemara in Brachos. The Gemara in Brachos brings a contradiction between two verses. Let's read the, let's read the Gemara. Tarabana, the rabbis taught, Vasafta the Ganecha. So it quotes the verse that we say in the Shema. And the verse says we have to gather in our grain. If we're gathering in our grain, right, obviously we're farmers. Right? You plant and you harvest. Says the Gemara, what, what's the lesson to say that we gather in the grains? There's another verse that says we should never stop studying Torah. So perhaps that means literally, you never stop studying Torah. If you never stop studying Torah, you can't be a farmer, you can't plant, you can't harvest. Right? So maybe that means literally. That's why the Torah tells you you have to gather in your grain to tell you you have to act like normal people, you have to uh, plant and you have to harvest. And thus, when the Torah says that you have to study Torah all the time, never stop, it's not quite literal. You have to study Torah a lot of the time, but you also have to carve out time to make a living. That's the opinion of Rabbi Shmuel. So, uh, the Gemara brings a contradiction between two verses. One verse says, you have to, you're a farmer and you do work. The next verse says that never stop studying Torah. So how do we reconcile those two? Says Rabbi Shmuel, you have to find uh, a synergy. You have to find harmony between the two. You learn, a li- you learn most of the time, but you also find time to make a living. That's the opinion of Rabbi Shmuel. Rabbi Shmuel Bar Yechai Omer. Rabbi Shmuel Bar Yechai says he disagrees. What does he say? You're going to have someone who's going to plow when it's time to plow. And is going to uh, plant when it's time to plant. It's going to harvest when it's time to harvest. And he's going to crush the, uh, the kernels during the time of, of, of during that season. Uh, and he's going to winnow it when it's, when it's windy. Basically, the entire year, the farmer is busy working. The farmer is working the whole time. And what's going to happen? Torah, Matela, when will you ever study Torah? To farm is a 12-month job. And if someone's a farmer, then they're busy the entire year. And they're busy the entire year, when are they ever going to study Torah? Ella. So here's a different solution. When the Jewish people are doing the will of the Almighty, then their work will be done by others. And he quotes a verse to support that. And during the time when the Jews are not doing the will of the Almighty, and then their work is done by themselves. And as the verse says, uh, So what does this mean? Says Rabbi Shimon. We have two verses. One verse says, study Torah all the time. The next verse says, gather in your grain. So which one is, which one is it? So if you're doing the will of the Almighty, you study Torah the whole time, then your food and your work will be taken care of by others. 
But when the Jewish people are not doing the will of the Almighty, then you have to do your work yourself, and that's when the verse of gathering your grains is fulfilled. And that's how he, he harmonizes those two verses. So he says, if you do the will, if you do the will of the Almighty, you study Torah, don't worry about making a living. God will take care of you. But if you do, if you don't, if you ignore the will of the Almighty, you're not doing the will of the Almighty, then you have to gather in your grain, below ode, and not only that, you have to do the work of others. According to, according to Reb Shimon, he seems to be saying, you study Torah, and what's going to be with your family? Who's going to feed your family? You're not a farmer. You're living in an agrarian society. There's nothing to eat. Don't worry, leave that to the Almighty. The Almighty will take care of it. If you say, I'm not going to do the will of the Almighty, then you'll have to do your own work, and only they have to do the work of others as well. So that's the machlokas. That's the disagreement between Rabbi Shmuel, who is a more pragmatic approach, and Rabbi Shimon, who, who seems to say that you just study Torah and don't worry about anything else. Amr Abaya. So what does Abaya say? Abaya is several generations later. Abaya is not, those were Tanoim, and Abaya is an Amur. Abaya comes from the authors of the Talmud. A lot of people tried, like Rabbi Shmuel, to do both, to study Torah and to have uh, as well a business of, of making money, and it worked for them. And a lot of people tried to do like Rabbi Shmuel, and it didn't work for them. So that's the, that, that's the Gemara. That's where the Gemara really ends. Now, there's a lot of questions here. We see this interesting disagreement between Rabbi Shmuel and Rabbi Shimon. Rabbi Shmuel seems to be saying very pragmatically, you have to work as well as study Torah. Find some harmony between the two. Find some synthesis between the two. Comes along Rabbi Shimon and says, no, study Torah only, and then the work will be done by others. But if you don't study Torah, if you're a little bit lax, not only you have to do your own work, you have to do the work of other people as well. So my first question I want to try to analyze here is, what's the disagreement about? It seems they're, all, they're both quoting verses to support their opinion, but what exactly is the underpinning of their disagreements? Number one. Number two, Rabbi Shmuel tells us, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to do minad derech eretz. You're supposed to do, act like the way of the world. So I just want to note that it's a little bit of a strange way of saying it. It should say, have a job or plant fields. What, what is this idea of calling it minar derech eretz, the way of the land? Not only that, what happens when you do the will of God? There's some magic formula. Says Rabbi, says Rabbi Shimon, there's a magic formula. If you do the will of God, suddenly all your work is going to be done by others. How, how does that work? How does the work be done by others? And not only that, says Rabbi Shimon, when you don't do the will of, of the Almighty, then you're going to have to do your own work, and you have to do the work of others. What's going to be? Like, if I, if I don't do the will of money, suddenly I have to do the work of other people? How does, how does that work out? Uh, but most critically here, we have a machlokas, we have a disagreement based upon verses. Rabbi Shmuel and uh, Rabbi Shimon. Comes along Abaya, and he says, ah, I have a solution. What's my solution? Let's look at the data. A lot of people tried to do Rabbi Shmuel, and it worked for them. A lot of people tried to do Rabbi Shimon, and it did not work for them. Therefore, he's telling us to go like Rabbi Yishmuel. That's not the way we adjudicate disagreements. You have to prove it. You have to say which one's more logical, which one's more true. To say that, oh, I'm going to do a survey and see what the data shows, that's not really the way we, that, you know, we figure out, we mediate between disagreements. Fine. So, so this, this is a machlokas, this is kind of the introduction to our subject. Now, if you look at source number two, you see that this extends to uh, uh, areas beyond just uh, making a living. So source number two is again from the Gemara Brachos, and this is a question about going to a doctor. And the Gemara says, the Rav Acha says, that if someone goes, if someone goes to have a, a medical procedure, he has to give a prayer. Someone goes to have a medical procedure, 
Uh, Omer, he says as follows, let, let it be the will before you, the Almighty, that this should be for me as a healing, and this is the critical line, and you'll give me a healing, because you are the healing, the trustworthy doctor, and your healing is true. So when you go to the doctor, says Rav Acha, what are you supposed to say? You're supposed to say, the real doctor, well, that's God. This guy, the, 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 the human doctor, that's really an illusion. Why? So he explains, Because really, the, the people are not supposed to go to the doctor. Only because they behaved like that. It's a little bit of a cryptic words here. Really, we don't need to go to the doctor, but because we behaved, that's why we need to go to the doctor. So it's not clear what, what that means. So that's the first opinion. Amr Abaye, so Abaye, we've seen him before, if you remember. What does he say? He says, no, don't say that prayer. Why not? Because Rabbi Shmal taught, the verse tells us that he shall surely heal, and this means that a doctor is, from the Torah's perspective, supposed to heal. Thus, we see another disagreement along the same lines. According to Rav Acha, he says, really, God's the, God's the real doctor. And even if you go into a human doctor, you have to invoke God. Says, Rabbi, says and you, really, you really shouldn't even go to a human doctor. Comes along Abaye, who, by the way, was the pragmatic one in the previous Gemara. And he quotes Rabbi Shmuel, who, by the way, was also the pragmatic one in the previous Gemara, that says, no, the, the Almighty tells us, he shall surely heal, which is given license to a doctor to provide healing. So that means the Almighty is instructing us to go to the doctors. It's, it's appropriate to go uh, to the doctor. Now, I think uh, we really have to ask uh, some important questions here. Rav Acha is telling us, you really shouldn't go to the doctor. Not only that, the only reason why, the, you know, the only reason why people go is because shenohadu, because they thus behaved. It's a little bit unclear what he means. What is, this, what is this idea that it's inappropriate to go to the doctor, and the only reason why we go to the doctor is because nohadu, we behaved like that. It's not so clear what, what, what he's referring to. So there's Ramban, in source number three, the Ramban, a very famous Ramban, who, he addresses this question. He explains the opinion of Rav Acha. And he starts off by saying like this, the general principle, when the Jewish people are complete and there's the majority, so it's, the Jewish people ideally, we don't work at all with the rules of nature. You know, we, we're, we're supernatural. Not in our bodies. Not in our land. Really, not at, collectively as a nation and not individually uh, as individuals. Why? The Almighty will bless their bread, and their waters, and will remove and eradicate illness from amongst them. The Jewish people in our ideal state, we don't need a doctor. Why? Because the Almighty will make sure that we don't have any illness. And we won't need to be even, we don't need to guard for any of the normal ways of healing. And he quotes the verse, The Almighty says, I am your doctor. Is there a more skilled physician in the world? Of course not. The Almighty says, I'm your doctor, and I'm going to take sure that you'll have 
all the medicinal care that you need and all the preventative care that you need. You won't even need to go to a human doctor. So this is ideally. And he says historically that Sadiqim, Osim is Mana during the time of Nevoah, what would they do? When they would sin, and then they got sick, they wouldn't go to the, the human physician. They would go to the prophet. If in ancient times, a righteous person, when this prophet's around, he gets sick, what does he do? He doesn't go to the clinic, he goes to the prophet. And what does he ask the prophet? He asks the prophet, why am I sick? And this is what the Talmud tells us, and he quotes our Talmud. That humans really should not go to the doctor. The only reason why we go to the doctor is because we behave as such. Explains the Ramban. If the people did not go to the doctor, what would happen? People would only get sick because of their sins. And he'll get healed because the, when the Almighty wants him to get healed. That's what it would have been if we didn't go to the doctor. If we didn't go to the doctor, if we never went to doctors, we wouldn't need to go to the doctors only for spiritual maladies. But what happened? But the people decided to go to human doctors. They, went, they decided to behave with, taking into account, human phys- physicians. And because we went to doctors, therefore the Almighty says, Ah, oh, you are now subject to normal, to normal illnesses that just happen. It's an incredible Ramban. It's a little bit naughty. It's a little bit hard to piece together. But essentially what he's telling us is like this. There's two reasons why we could get sick, and there's two reasons why we could get healed from the sickness. It used to be, and really this is ideal, that the only reason why we got sick is because the Almighty made us sick, right? The Almighty's our doctor. If, if the Almighty's your doctor, you're not going to have any sickness. The Almighty's your doctor. He's taking care of you. So why would you get sick? Only because you sinned. And thus, if you sinned, and that's why you got sick, then how do you fix that? By rectifying your sin. And indeed, that's the way it was in, in, in times past. If you were sick, you went to the prophet. The prophet told you why you were sick. You fixed the problem. You fixed the sin that brought about the sickness. And automatically, the sickness went away. What happened? We decided to go to the doctor. We cut God out of our um, medical life. We said, we want to go to the human doctor. The man says, ah, you don't want me to be the doctor? Okay, you're the, you're the human doctor. Okay, so then you're, you're cutting me out of this? Now you're not, I'm not taking care of you personally? Okay, now illnesses that are the course of nature will happen. And thus, you'll be sick not just because of sin, you'll be sick also because of normal illnesses that affect everyone. And now, because you went to the doctor, now you actually need to go to the doctor. Because we decided to cut God out uh, of his status, of being our, our physician, now we have human physicians, and now we need human physicians, because now we also have normal illnesses. It's almost as if, when we went to the doctor initially, we downgraded our immuno. We said, oh, there's a human here and the human has power. And it's not just God in control. And by doing that, God responded in kind and downgraded the way he treats us as well. 
Suddenly we don't have the godly protection to ensure that we don't get any illness. And now we have illness, and now indeed we need to have a human physician. Thus, when the Gemara says that it's not darkam shel b'nei adam, it's not normal, it's not natural for the people to need a doctor, what that means, says the Rabban, is that we, we were no head. We behaved in a way that we decided to go to the doctor, and therefore now we actually need to go to the doctor and treat our, uh, our medical conditions that come up because God is no longer our doctor. I want to explain how this actually works and try to connect this all together. So look at source number four here. Very famous Gemara. The Gemara, in the end of Sota, is talking about what happened once the temple was destroyed. When the temple was destroyed, there was a, a reduction in the spiritual status of the people. And it gives a whole list of things that happened. One of the themes here, Men of faith seized in Israel. There's no more people of faith. Says the Gemara, what does that mean? What does it mean that there's men of, of faith seized? These are people that believe in God. So if, if someone tells you that now they believe in God, tell them you're lying. Because the Gemara says people that believe in God, that those people are extinct and they went with the temple. Temple's destroyed, there's no more people that believe in God. How so? So the Gemara explains. Omer. Quotes the Brisa from Rebeliezer. Call me Sheyeshlo Paspesalo, whoever has bread in his basket. The Omer Ma'ochalamachar and says, What will I eat tomorrow? Eino Elomikatne Amona. That person is nothing more than a person of small faith. What does it mean to have faith in the Talmud's, uh, the Talmud's litmus test of the Talmud, of what it means to have faith? Someone who has bread today, you have food today, but you know that tomorrow there's no bread, and you have no way of, of accessing bread. And what happens, right? Of course, if you have no food for tomorrow, what are you going to feed your kids, or what are you going to eat for breakfast? But if you had faith, you would have faith in God. You know, the Almighty has plenty of food, the Almighty is a billionaire, and he'll take care of you. So to have faith, says the Talmud, you have food for today, you don't have for tomorrow, and you're not worried about it. The Almighty will provide. That level, that already ceased with the destruction of the temple. Now there's no one of faith. So I want to ask a few questions here. Let's go back to the time where people of faith actually existed. What would happen tomorrow? Would they die of starvation? Men of, we have a man of faith from, from ancient times, before the temple was destroyed. A man of faith, they have bread today, they have no bread tomorrow. They're not so worried about it because they have faith in God. Would they die tomorrow of starvation? What, what, what would they feed their family? Is, is a muna, is that negligence? Does it mean to be negligent? You have no food. Pfft, rely on God. What do you feed your kids tomorrow? Is that negligence or is that a muna? Which one is it? And lastly, this is source number five. We're told that if someone relies on a miracle... Miracles don't happen to them. So when someone says, okay, I have no food for my kids tomorrow, but I have faith. Miraculously, something will happen and there'll be food for my kids tomorrow. So that's not relying on a miracle. Because we know if you say you're going to rely on a miracle, a miracle doesn't happen. So I want to explain how this works. We're told multiple times in the Torah that we are sons of God. The Almighty loves us as children. The Almighty loves us as 
as if we were his child, as if a human father loves a human child. Not only that, we're told that the Almighty is a billionaire. So let me ask you a question. Let's say your dad's a billionaire, and you're home alone one night, and you look in the cupboards, and you see there's no food for tomorrow. Are you going to worry for a second, what are you going to eat tomorrow for breakfast? Your dad's a billionaire after all, right? He'll take care of you, right? What, it's, it's, it's no big deal. So what the, is, what the Talmud here is telling us, that it's, it's not at all negligence. Someone really, really, really believes in God. It's real. No less than if your dad wasn't a, a human billionaire. Of course you shouldn't worry about what you're going to eat tomorrow. And that's not negligence because the Almighty will feed you. And by the way, what would happen the next day? The Almighty would feed them. It's not a miracle because if your dad gives you breakfast, is that a miracle? The only reason why dad, so to speak, the Almighty does not give us breakfast nowadays is because we don't think he's our dad. We don't treat him like that. We don't have that level of amuna. When we downgrade our level of amuna, we go to the doctor, we say, I need to find a way to feed my family. Okay, God says, oh, you don't rely on me? Okay, so you decide what the relationship is all about. You want to opt out of being my son? Okay, you're on your own. But for the people that actually believe that, they believe that the Almighty was their billionaire dad who's going to feed them, for sure, why would they worry about what they're going to eat tomorrow? And by the way, the Almighty would feed them tomorrow. And you know what? That's not a miracle anymore than if your dad actually gave you breakfast. And by the way, that's what Rabbi Shimon was saying. In Rabbi Shimon's mind, the Almighty wants you to study Torah. Don't stop studying Torah. How can you feed your family? The Almighty is your billionaire dad, and he really believed it. He was from the people that existed before the temple that actually had that level of faith. Thus, essentially, we can, we can essentially break down the people into different categories. On one hand, before the destruction of the temple, you had these people of titanic faith that really believed in God. If there was no food, they wouldn't worry. They were, and that wasn't considered negligence because the Almighty is their billionaire dad, who indeed you know, they believed would feed them. And by the way, the Almighty would feed them. And that wasn't a miracle. Because they decided what the relationship that they had with God was. And they decided that it's real. And they say it's real. The Almighty responds uh, congruent to what they establish as their relationship with God. What happens the next day when God, when, right, when the next day, when the people of person of faith actually finds food, somehow, the Almighty provided are they shocked? Are they like, oh, I'm, I'm changing my life? No, because dad gave him breakfast. It's as simple as that. So that a miracle that doesn't happen is a miracle that interferes with your free will. A miracle happened to us every second. Since we got here, there's probably been you know, 5,000 heartbeats amongst all of us. Is that a miracle? Yes, that's a miracle. But somehow the Almighty allows that miracle because that we're used to that miracle. That's what the Ramban would call a hidden miracle. It's a miracle that's real but doesn't tantalize us. It doesn't interfere with our ability to, you know, to have free will and to make decisions as such. What happens after the temple is destroyed? People, they're, they're no longer people of faith. They don't really believe in God. Yeah, maybe they believe theoretically, but they don't really believe. And therefore, if they have food today but don't have food tomorrow, they're worried, they're scrambling. How do I feed my kids tomorrow? And by the way, if they were to not try to find food for their kids, that's negligence. And not only that, 
if they ignore God, if they ignore the need to have feed their kids tomorrow, and they say, oh, rely on God, because it's not real, because they're still kind of, they won't be able to sleep properly at night, that's artificial faith. They don't really feel like the Almighty will provide for them. That's why they're so nervous. Right. If they actually had food, that would be even more real. If there, was real. if there was food in their cupboard, they would feel that that's real. They wouldn't have, you wouldn't have a hard time sleeping at night. But God is less real somehow in their mind, and therefore they'll have a hard time sleeping, and because the faith is not real, therefore God does not respond in kind. So going back to Rabbi Shimon and Rabbi Shmuel, that a disagreement. Comes on Rabbi Shimon, he says, just, you know, just, just study Torah, and they might not take care of you. Says Rabbi Shmuel, no, 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 you have to do both. Who's right? Well, the answer is they're both right. They're not arguing about the same person. Rabbi Shmuel is saying that, if you notice, he said the words, the derech eretz, right? The way of the world. And we'll see that term a little bit later on as well. But what he's saying is that we have to live within the parameters of the world. And the world that we live in today is a world where people of faith are extinct. They're dinosaurs. They don't exist anymore. And therefore, for most people, and certainly after the temple is destroyed, they cannot actually achieve the level of faith, the level of muna necessary, to have such clear recognition of God, that he, God's their billionaire dad, and therefore they cannot ignore their material needs. They have to become a farmer. How do they, what happens to the Torah? Have to find a way to do both. But if they ignore the needs, the material needs, they don't have the level of faith to allow God to actually behave as a dad, as a father to them, and therefore God will not provide, because God does not do miracles for them. Rabbi Shimon is also right, because Rabbi Shimon is talking about a different kind of person. He's talking about, about a person who can actually achieve that level of faith and treat the Almighty, have real faith, and therefore the Almighty says, oh, you're real with me, I'll be real with you, and you know what? All you got to do is study Torah all the time. What's going to happen? Who's going to feed you? Leave that to the Almighty. Why do you have to worry about that? Says Abaye. What Abaye is telling us, he's not telling us one's right and one's wrong. If he wanted to tell us one of them is right and one of them is wrong, he would have to prove why one of them is right and one of them is wrong. What Abaye is telling us, he's giving us advice. He's telling us like this. You should know, what really matters, what really matters is you. Are you able to obtain the level of faith of Rabbi Shimon, who could feel confident and say, I have no food for tomorrow, and God will take care of us. If yes, great. But a lot of people tried that, and they, it didn't work for them. Not because they weren't good people, it's because they weren't quite on the level of faith at, that, that Rabbi Shimon had that would allow God to respond in kind and to take care of them as if, he, as if they were his children. But a lot of people tried to do like Rabbi Shimon, and it actually works, it actually, it actually, uh, works out. Similarly, medical, um, medical assistance. Ideally, if we all had real faith of Rabbi Shimon, you know, we would realize that all illness is from God, and thus all healing is from God, and we can ignore the doctor. No problem. But what happens? We visit, we visit the doctor. Right? You have the sniffles, you go to the doctor. What are, you sh- what are you showing when you go to the doctor? You're demonstrating that, no, you're living in this world. And thus you're ignoring God a little bit, right? It's not... He's not really your complete doctor. Okay, then you're on your own. What happens if you're on your own? You have to deal with the, uh, with the uh, medical uh, needs that may arise. So that's, that's the disagreement. They're really only arguing, um, they're only arguing practically, but 
everyone agrees they're both actually correct for different people. Now, I want to kind of explain how this actually works. So how does this work? How does this work? Rabbi Shimon says, what's going to happen? Just rely on God and just study Torah and everything will be taken care of. How does that actually work? So I have a few ways to try to explain this. Uh, first way is look at source number six. This is the Mishnah in the chapters of the fathers. Rabbi Chonah Marakana Omer, Rabbi Chonah, the son of Akana, says, Call Hamakabela Latzmo all Torah, whoever accepts someone on himself the yoke of Torah, Ma'avir Mimenu all Malchus of all Derecherets. So remember, hear the word Derecherets, we've seen that word before. Someone accepts upon himself the yoke of Torah, then other yokes, the yoke of Derecherets of the way of the world, and the yoke of Malchus of the kingdom, gets removed from him. But what does that mean? What does this mean if someone accepts the yoke of Torah, the, the other yokes go away? Can we say, first of all, that if someone studies Torah all the time, like Yom Torah, Torah, never stop studying Torah, would that be considered the yoke of Torah? I think that's very safe to say. So what happens, we're told over here that there's yokes that we have, and these yokes get removed. If you look at source number seven, I only have it in the Hebrew version, the Maral explains something very fabulous here. He says, there's three ways the Almighty behaves with us. There's three modes of behavior that we have, three hanhagos, as he calls it. The first one is the rules of the world, the rules of teva, the rules of nature. And nature dictates that if you don't plant, and you don't plow, and you don't harvest, you'll starve. That's number one. He calls that derecheretz. And then there's number two, another way of behavior, which he calls malchus, which means where people can compel us to behave some way. Because who controls my life? So there's the rules and the rules and laws of nature. Plus there's other people. You have the government that say, we're going to tax you or we're going to imprison you. You have the king who says, I'm going to take away all your stuff. Or a, a, a heathen, a thief who comes in and puts a gun to your head and says, I want to steal all your stuff. Well, what, that controls me as well because that person has free will and their free will can encroach on my life as well. And that's personified in the Mishnah by Malchus, by the, by the kingdom, the, 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 the police power. And lastly, there's also a third mode, and that the mode is the supernatural mode, where nature doesn't have any say over you, other people don't have any say over you, it's just the Almighty. It's just the Almighty. Says the Maharal, what is this Mishnah saying? If I accept upon myself the yoke of Torah, if I opt in to choose voluntarily to have Torah be, be, be what dominates me, then the Almighty is going to upgrade me to this third stream, this third path, where He Himself is going to take care of me individually. And what am I going to lose as a result? The laws of nature won't, they won't hold any water over me. I won't be beholden to them at all. And not only that, the laws of the kingdom will go away as well other people won't be able to affect me with their free will. Rabbi Shimon, he's, you know, he's echoing this Mishnah. Rabbi Shimon is saying, you do the will of the Almighty, you study Torah all the time. What's going to be? You accept the will of the Almighty upon you, then all the other rules of the world, you've got to work hard to make a living to feed your family, you have to be, you have to wor- be worried what the government's going to say about you, all those things go away. But, if you reject the yoke of heaven, in a time when the Jewish people are not doing the will of the Almighty, then they have to do their own work. They live within the framework of derech eretz. They have to work hard to make a living. And not only that, the work of others is placed upon them as well. 
Your neighbor says, I want you to do work for me, and I'm going to force you because I'm going to compel you with my free will. Well, you're beholden to that as well. Thus, Rabbi Shimon says, if you reject the will of the Almighty, you, if you say, I'm not going to do the will of the Almighty, okay, you have to do your own work, like Rabbi Yishmael says, and you have to do the work of others, like the Mishnah says, which is Malchus. So essentially, you know, it's, it's really up to us. We, we choose which path, which method of behavior we have. Are we going to be beholden and uh, subject to nature, and to the will of other people. Well, that's most people. But there's this option that we can upgrade our behavior. We could say, we're going to commit ourselves to Torah. We're going to set upon ourselves the Yoko Torah. We're going to do the will of the Almighty. We're going to study Torah all the time. And then all those other responsibilities, they get cast away. The Almighty says, I'll take care of that. Don't worry about it. So, I think we could say, like Rabbi Shimon himself, Rabbi Shimon himself has a history. Uh, he spent uh, 13 years in a cave by himself, him, well, him and his, and his son. So the Talmud tells us in, in Shabbos 33b that the, when he got there, he got to the cave. It was a barren, empty cave in the middle of nowhere. And the next morning, there was a stream of water and a carob tree that sprouted up right by the entrance of the cave. I think this is an example. Rabbi Shimon actually practiced what he preached. And therefore, when he got there, he didn't have any plans to eat. He had no food. So what happens? He, was he worried? No, because the Almighty will take care of him. And you know what? The Almighty did take care of him. And by the way, when he woke up in the morning, was he shocked? Oh my gosh, what do you see? No, the, the Almighty says, billionaire dad, who gave him breakfast? Like, he would, like any dad would give to any one of us, any one of us children. So the next source is, the Mitzvah tells us, we, we read it this past week in, in Shul, that if you have a... a, you have a um, um, a roof, you have to put a fence around it so people don't fall down. So the Chinuch, Chinuch is one of the Rishonim, and he explains why, this, why all mitzvahs are, but he explains as follows. I want to read it very quickly. It's true, despite the fact that the Almighty oversees all the details of man and knows all their actions. Everything that happens, both good and evil, it's all because of the command directive of God, as per their righteousness or wickedness. And it quotes the Gemara, a person cannot lift his finger from the bottom unless it is thus decreed from above. Someone has to worry from things that could happen, from accidents that could happen. Why? Because the Almighty created his world, Ubano, and built it, Ayesodos and Mudateva, on the pillars and the foundations of the, ru- the rules of nature. Vigazar, and he decreed, uh, The Almighty decreed that fire burns and and that water extinguishes the flame. And so too that the nature demands, mandates, if a a large stone falls on the head of man. It will, it will uh, destroy. It will, it will smash his head. If someone falls off a tall building, why did they die? They died because that's what happens in our world. In our world, if you jump off a, top, of a high building, you'll die because that's the way the Almighty built the world. That there's rules of gravity and there's rules of nature. And those things control us. We're beholden to that. Vehu Baruchu and the Almighty Chanan Begrufa Saodam, he uh, endowed in the, in the bodies of man, Vipach Ba'apam Nishbaschaim, a 
a neshama, balas das, that has knowledge, lishmar aguf mikol pegatis, to guard the body from every injury, v'nasem shneim, and nefesh v'agufa betok gaudon leisodos, and placed it all in this universe, v'heimu yinadrum v'yiflu bam pu'ulos. We are subject to the laws of nature. And therefore, v'achar sha'el ashiabed v'agufa adam l'teva, our body is subjugated, is subject to the rules of nature. That's why we have a mitzvah to put a, a roof around, I'm sorry, a fence around the roof, because otherwise we'll fall and we'll die. And you know what? It's possible that we're not supposed to die. But we are subject to the laws of nature. We are subject to what we call derech eretz. And therefore, if we fall off the roof, we'll die unnecessarily. And therefore, the mind says, put a because Teva, which we are, we, we are controlled by, that will work its wonder upon you if you don't guard yourself. However, I'm going to read this in English. There's some, there's, there'll be some people that the Almighty loves them because they're so pious and they cling to Him. These are the righteous, the great pious people. Like, like the forefathers and the holy people and lots of their descendants, like Daniel, Hanani, Mishal, Vazaria. There's some people that they're not controlled by nature. In fact, the opposite is true. They are masters over nature. And therefore, and initially those people, they were like everyone else. They were controlled by nature. But what happens? Because of their greatness, the Almighty switched it. The Almighty took the, we could say perhaps in, in the terms that we are speaking of, the money took the yoke of Derech and cast it aside. And they're now masters on nature. And therefore, what happens? They threw Abraham into the fire. Did he get burned? No. Why? Because fire burns. Well, fire usually burns. In the, in, the, in the realm of nature, fire burns. Abraham wasn't in the realm of nature. He was a master of nature. The money treated him individually completely. The law of nature had no bearing over him. He was thrown into the fire. He wasn't singed at all. Similarly, Hanam Shalav Azariah, they were thrown into uh, the fire as well. Daniel thrown into the pit of lions. What happens? The lions are hungry, they eat. And here, they, they didn't. Why? Because they're upgraded. But those are individuals. Everyone, most of us, we're subject to the laws of nature. Unless we can find a way to channel somehow this capacity to go like Rabbi Shimon or to go like the Mishnah of Marakana, to accept upon ourselves the yoke of Torah, and then we're uplifted out of that stature. And now I want to look at this Arachayim just quickly here. Um, but the Arachayim really extend this uh, even further. I have this question. What happens if some guy, if there's, some, if there's a homicide? Did the Almighty want the victim dead or not? So one person kills the other person. Tragic. Homicide. So there's a victim. Dead body, right? Did the Almighty want the dead person dead or not? Typically, we're very hesitant to say that someone could die and not be guilty. So that's what the Arachayim says. The Arachayim says that when, um, when Joseph was being um, judged by his brothers, so initially they said, let's kill him. And they said, no, let's throw him into the pit. So what's the difference between killing him and throwing him into the pit? So says... The uh, Arachayim, he says like this. If someone gets killed, if someone kills someone else, then they're using their free will to end someone else's life. That won't prove that person was guilty or not. 
even if he's not guilty and he does not deserve to die, I'm choosing to kill him when he's not supposed to die. We'll never know if we kill Joseph. We'll never know if he was guilty or not. So, and I would say, I would say, maybe if we take if we take the chinuch and we put it together, or what it's what it seems like that these are the two realms that someone is in. They're in the realm of nature fire burns. They're in the realm of kingdom, where other people have dominion over them. But if someone enters the third realm, well then, the Almighty is watching them and nothing can happen. They're impervious. Now, I want to just conclude here. There's another source that says that the Jewish people are sons, children of the Almighty, and we're also slaves of the Almighty. Well, what's the difference? We get to choose which one we are. If we behave like sons, and we treat them as such, well, then he'll treat us like a dad. It's a Gemara in Babasra. Otherwise, if we want to opt out, we say we're not interested, well, then we're still slaves. But what happens when it's, how does a slave get treated? Not necessarily so wonderfully all the time. Now, um, just to conclude, what, what, what about us? Like, how, does, how is this relevant to us? Clearly, we're, we're existing 2,000 years after the temple. We cannot achieve whatever that level of faith that is, is, is referenced. So there's a Mishnah in, in Pirkei Avos that says, it means derecheretz ain't Torah. There's no derecheretz, there's no way of the world, there's no Torah. I think what it's telling us is that we have to behave like Rabbi Shmuel says. We have to live with derecheretz, and then we can have Torah. Because what happens if we don't have derecheretz, we don't have the level of faith necessary to not worry about that and to have the peace of mind to study Torah. Additionally, that same Mishnah says, it means kemach ain't Torah. If there's no kemach, there's no, if there's no flower, there's no Torah. The morale there, commentator, he says, that what, what does it mean, kemach? If there's no flour, there's no tarsif, if there's no bread, there's no Torah. That seems more appropriate. Says the Maral, if someone has bread, well, they have food, right? They have food for today. We don't know if they have food for tomorrow. If someone has flour, it means that they have food ready for today, but they also have food for the future. So we're at the level that if we don't have food like for the future, does it have to be for a year? Does it have to be for five years? Does it have to be for a week? Where that point is is a little bit of a good question. But we have to have a certain degree of flower before we can have the peace of mind to study Torah. Of course, some people can say, well, I can't study Torah, I don't have $100 million yet. And those people, you know, that's a level that we could have. We could say, well, if I have a two years worth of food, then I, could, I should have enough peace of mind. Where exactly we fall in, in, you know, along that spectrum from... You know, from, I have no food for tomorrow and I could study Torah. That we can't really have. But I have to, I have food, you know, I don't know, for five years. Is that enough? Can we take some time to study Torah? Maybe that's something that we can reach. Um, so we have to have uh, security. Uh, but as exactly where we fall in along this line, and also how we treat the Almighty, like how we actually behave towards the Almighty, whatever whatever we accept upon ourselves as our you know, what, where we can actually treat God as real, that's exactly the level that he's going to treat us also as being real and how much we can pivot into this third realm in which God treats us individually. So, for example, prayer. Prayer is we're trying to intercede upon God to, deter, to have, give us good things, give us prosperity and health and peace and security, all the good things that we want in life we pray for. Well, how powerful is our prayer? If I actually believe that I was talking to a monarch or a king or a president, well, then it's, it's a lot of power. I could lobby them to change laws. So if I actually believe that I'm talking to God, I, and to the degree that it's real to me, 
Well, that's the degree of power, so to speak, that the Almighty allows in response. So if, I'm, if I would have trepidation before talking to, I don't know, a governor or a president, and I actually have that same degree of trepidation talking to God, then that's the amount of power, so to speak, that my prayer has. If I'm totally ignoring you, I don't believe I'm talking to my friend, then it's, it's not powerful at all. How powerful is my prayer? Well, depending on how real I make it. The way I treat God, the way I, my level of faith and how I assign God as being real, that's exactly how he responds to us. So yes, can we have the levels of faith described by Rabbi Shimon or before the temple was destroyed? Probably not. But there's still loads and loads of areas uh, in the middle. My, my grandfather used to say, when people, think, when people talk about bitachon, faith, I want to rely on God. So people say, well, I'm really miserable, really terrified, and really scared, but I want to rely on God. He says, that's not relying on God. To rely on God means you're not actually, it's real. If it's real, then you're not actually worried about it. We think, oh, I'll just make this dedication, this martyrdom of dedicating my fear, and I'll say, oh, God will take care of it. If I'm actually still scared, that's not really believing that God's in control. So that's the idea. I think it really opens up a whole new world that the way we behave towards God, the, the, the stature, or the level of amuna that we assign to him, that's how he'll respond to us in kind, and that indeed will matter in all the ways that the Almighty relates to us.